Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. We will consider the words of our text, which we heard once already uh, in the course of our sermon. We are in a transition period. As I just mentioned, we're in transition with masks and, and so on. We're also in a transition period in the church year. We've just gone through what well, we studied, you know, re- reflected on Jesus' resurrection, uh, showing that he has indeed paid for our sins. We're just completing a whole series starting back in December of watching Jesus as he was born, as he grew up and worked and taught. And then finally, how he died, rose again. And this past Thursday was the day we Christians celebrate his ascension into heaven. Um, when he rose and disappeared from the disciples' sight behind a cloud. It's kind of an appropriate picture because he didn't actually go away. He just disappeared. They would be going in different directions, but he would continue to be with them, but not visibly everywhere they went. Now, in this transition period now, we consider a prayer that Jesus spoke, actually the night um, before he was arrested. A prayer on behalf of his disciples, who were now in this transition. They had been following him and learning from him, and now they would be sent out to do their work, that he had prepared them to do, and he prays now for them what they need for this work. And now, of course, we are Jesus' modern-day disciples. He's praying for us. But as we look at this prayer, it becomes apparent, you know, these are important things for Jesus' disciples, for us. We want to pray for these things, too. Sometimes when we think of our prayer life, we, we maybe get a little... Selfish, these are things to pray for ourselves, uh, but what, what kinds of things should we be praying for? Well, this gives us uh, a clue, uh, gives us some guidance. Some of the things we can pray to our Heavenly Father for as we go about our work as His people in this world. What should we pray for? Well, first we look at the fact that soon after this, uh, they would be sent out. Of course, they would have to wait for that special gift that would be given on Pentecost, 40 days after this uh, event, uh, after his ascension. Um, but after that, they would spread out. That's what he told them to do. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And indeed, it seems they were. You read in the book of Acts, you read a little bit about this, especially the apostle Paul, who was called later by the true apostle, he had traveled extensively, especially when you consider, you know, nobody went faster than a walk in those days. Even the ships that sailed, or the, the, you know, they rode on some beast. It was slow. But he went all over what is now Turkey and Greece and Macedonia, uh, all the way to Rome and Italy. But the other disciples also went different places. We don't have the recorded uh, instance of the Bible, so we don't have a, a flawless record, but we do have secular history, uh, which gives us some indication. Now, famously, Thomas, for example, is said to have gone to India. That's a long ways away. And started the Christian church in India. 
Also, the disciples went to places that well, we now call Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Spain, Italy, uh, the whole you know the world around them that they knew, and even some that they didn't know, like Italy. So they had spread out, and it's very likely that these disciples never gathered again. Maybe one or two met here and there, but for the most part, they almost certainly didn't meet again. But yet, they were one. And Jesus wanted them to remain as one. He prayed for their oneness. So we <coughs> read in verse 11 of our text, uh, <coughs> and uh, I'm coming to you, Heavenly Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, even though they would be divided. Perhaps an example of this in the secular world is the uh, people that work for the United States Embassy throughout the world. And perhaps most of you already know that your former pastor actually did that uh, before he studied to be a pastor. One of the things that is important for people that work for the embassy in all parts of the world is that they are representatives of the United States of America. This means they are not to identify themselves with the people they are living among or to, you know, start to have excess, you know, feelings toward them, but they are to represent the view and the uh, mission of the United States of America, to stay one in that no matter where they live. To that end, for, they, they work to, to maintain that by, for example, giving them homes and living situations that are as American as possible. They uh, usually move, like at least once every two years. And <clears throat> all of this to keep them in this one goal, one mission of representing the United States of America. And wherever they go. And this was what Jesus wanted of his disciples. Wherever they would go, they would be his representatives. They would carry out his mission, uh, the important mission of, of proclaiming his gospel. And he says, how will they get that? By being protected in God's name. Now, God's name is not just an arbitrary word that was selected to refer to him like Maybe a parent's choosing a name for their child. Well, usually, you know, okay, the husband and wife sit down and, which now? I don't like now. Until you get down one name that they can both agree on. And it doesn't really tell anything about the child. It's just a word that's selected to refer to that child. But God's names are different. They tell about him. They tell about who he is. They tell about what he has done. Names like Lord. Savior, Redeemer, Comforter, Sanctifier. You look at those words, you study those words, they tell what he is doing for his people. So in a way, uh, these are really part of God's word itself. Telling about him. And to stay one then, the disciples were to remain in that word, to continue to learn and reflect on what his name means for them. 
Now, these disciples had personally listened to Jesus himself. And perhaps some of them even had something they could write these things down. But they remembered them. Those days, people memorized things. They memorized the, the things that Jesus said. That was important. Let me think about that and repeat that before I forget it. They could sit and reflect on these things, meditate on what Jesus told them uh, so that they would end up spreading the same message wherever they went, separated as they were, in different cultures, in different lands. They were still one in this message. It is important for us, too, to be and remain one in that message. Uh, <coughs> Our Lord has revealed truths about himself in his word, through his name. One thing, he doesn't mean, he doesn't have two meanings, he doesn't have three meanings. There's only one thing, and we want to dig into that. And what is it he is telling us? And we want to be one, united in those things that refer to and reveal his name. Other things we're not going to be one in. Should we wear masks or not wear masks? Well, I don't think we're going to be agreed on that. <laughs> Vaccinated or not? I don't think we're going to be agreed on that. This is not part of God's name. We don't need to be. We don't have any absolute answers like we do in God's word about him. We have absolute answers on those things. That's where we want to be one. Uh, <clears throat> so we're going to study that word. That's how we be, stay, want to be one. Learn his word. Hear it. Reflect on it. So we pray, as Jesus prayed. Make us one. Keep us one in your name. Then, another thing. Jesus goes on then to pray in verse 13. He says, I am coming to you, to the Heavenly Father, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Full measure of Jesus' joy. It's amazing when you think about it. When Jesus spoke these words, he was only hours from being arrested, beaten, tortured, tried, condemned, falsely condemned, hung on a cross, abandoned by his father, and dying. How could he have that kind of joy? Well, he also knew that he was going to be successful in his work. He was going to save many people for all eternity by this terrible work he was going to have to take place. Uh, go through. And so this joy sustained him through this. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now Jesus was praying here that his disciples could have that same joy within them. They too would face much suffering persecution, and even death for carrying out their work of proclaiming Jesus' message to others. Such a joy, if they could have that in them, would sustain them through this. Now, they would have this joy for a little different reason than Jesus had it. 
Because they, like us, were all sinful human beings destined for an eternity of punishment. But Jesus saved them from that. Saved them for all eternity for a home full of joy and bliss in heaven. Uh, And listening to Jesus, they would hear again and again about this, and that would give them joy, which they could hang on to in their dark hours, which they would certainly have. They would find (coughs) joy inside them. Also, when people would respond to what they said and believe that message, even while they themselves might be being persecuted at the time. Now, maybe if we could compare this to the joy that a couple has when they find out the wife is pregnant, perhaps for the first time. Is that a joyful occasion? Yes. But as often happens, they, they choose not to share that joy immediately. They conceal it for a while. They keep it inside them, but they have it. Uh, while they prepare for the time, they're going to they're gonna tell about it. And that joy, for looking forward to that child that, that God is going to give them, can get them through some more difficult times. The job loss, family uh, discord, other setbacks. Oh, but we're going to have this child. This joy that we're going to have with this child uh, as they, it overshadows all these things. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus wants for us. We have this joy deep inside us while other things are going on. So it's appropriate for us to pray. Pray for joy. Pray that we can have this joy inside of us. Pray that, you know, knowing that there's an eternal home for us, waiting for us in heaven. Remembering that, that God is with us. Jesus is with us even right now. Hang on, that joy involves, again, listening to Jesus' words. That's where we find this strength. And then he goes on in this prayer. He has been praying for protection up to this point. You know, protect them by the power of your name. Now he comes to the point where he's going to point out uh, what they need to be protected from and, and uh, why they need this protection. We read in verses 14 and 15, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. The world hates them. Now, when we talk about the world here, we're not talking about the sphere on which we live, but people, the people in this world. God's people in this world make up a small minority all the people. The vast majority are people that are against God, uh, that hate God. Unwittingly, they're under the power of of the evil one, of the devil. Uh, They work to stop God's work. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. There are those that believe in Jesus and are for him. There are those that don't believe and are against him. Uh, And He is praying that people be protected from their attacks. Uh, Because we realize he's not praying for their destruction. 
because they are the targets of his work too. Jesus died for the, all these people in the world that are right now against him. And he wants that gospel he preached to them, and they repent too. So, not that they be destroyed. But so Jesus <coughs> uh, it can remind us of, of an incident in Acts shortly after the resurrection when Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel. They are threatened, but they are released. What do the people pray for after that? They pray, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Just that same word that had gotten them arrested in the first place. To get boldness, to protect them so that they can do this. Uh, It's as if they were being, you know, going into the lion's den. Praying not that the lions be gotten rid of, but rather that he be protected from the lions, even as Daniel was. And this is what Jesus was praying for. Eventually, many of these disciples would be killed for preaching this. Does that mean that God didn't answer Jesus' prayer for them here? No. He protected them. As long as it took for them to finish the work God had laid out for them, and then he called them to himself, maybe even through the sword of one of the people that were opposing them. They were protected and finally taken home. And we pray for that protection from the evil one also. This happens not when we hide from the world, become hermits or monks, for example, Not when we avoid speaking these words, but actually when we do speak these words. That's when he will protect us. Because the more we stand for his word, the more we proclaim that word, the more we will arouse the hate and persecution when we speak it. So we pray that God protect us through the time that he wants us to carry out his work until he wants to call us to himself in heaven. Now, finally, he concludes this with another request for his disciples. We read the last verses of our text. They are not in the world of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. Praying for the sanctification of his people. That is to be holy. And the basic meaning of the word holy is to be set apart. God is holy. He is set apart. He is sinless. He is also all-powerful. And in other ways, he's set apart. And he sets his people apart too. He says, you are set apart for me. You are now declared holy. You are my people. You have a home in heaven. You're different from all the other uh, people. Uh, <clears throat> And, of course, this set-apartness will become evidence as people's lives change as his people. There's a big picture of this in the Old Testament. God called Abraham to be the ancestor of a new people, a people through whom he would bring the Savior into the world. And they were set apart. They were set apart by (coughs) living separately, Abraham left his country, went to a new country, lived as a foreigner in that country, 
Later, Jacob's uh, people would go to Egypt, but they were separate. They were shepherds. The, the Egyptians uh, didn't uh, really like shepherds, so they were by themselves. God gave them laws not to intermarry, for example. They had their own special religious laws to remind them how God had set them apart. Uh, and so throughout history, they were set apart. They were separate until the Savior would come into the world, which was what the goal of, of making them his separate people was all about. Jesus wants his people to be set apart also by their faith, and by their life. They were sanctified. They were made holy uh, through the truth. He says, sanctify them through the truth. Another word for God's word. The word his word is truth. That's what sets us apart. Sets us apart as God's people. But sets us apart in this world also. The more we hear, read, study, meditate on God's truth, on God's word, uh, <clears throat> the more that will set you apart in the world. The more that will lead you to realize you don't really fit into this world anymore. Um, it starts with becoming more and more assured of your status before God, that you are God's child, that you have an eternity in heaven. The more you study his truth, oh, I can be at peace in this world. I don't have to be afraid to die. Unlike other people who have no purpose, who are afraid of death, who are unsure as they face the future, it also means that set apart means that, you know, as the more you study God's word, you will be different. Your life will change. You'll be more attuned to wanting to serve God and to serve his people around you. It will change your attitude, seeing things that the world accepts as good and great, and you say, no, uh, these are things that go against God's word, and because of that, they are harmful to people. So our attitude, our life, our assurance all changes because we are set apart. And we can pray for this. Pray that you be set apart in this world. So as we look forward to the part of the church year now, where we transition from looking at Jesus and what he did to now what we do uh, as his people in this world, we can pray as Jesus uh, uh, gives us an example to pray. Pray to our Heavenly Father. Pray for oneness and faith. Pray for joy within us. Pray for protection from the evil one. And pray for holiness in this world. We pray, Lord, grant us these requests. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.